Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in Genesis chapter 22, so if you have a Bible, it's the very first book in your Bible. If you have the Bible app, you can look up Genesis 22. In fact, if you're in the Bible app and you go to the menu section, you can follow along with today's notes. We have been talking about Christmas, of course, and as we light the Advent candles, it represents for us, as we light one candle per week leading up to Christmas Day, it, it symbolizes for us what the Jewish people did over the course of hundreds of years as they simply waited and anticipated the Messiah. I was reading this week and I came across this quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer who said this, our entire life is Advent. Our entire life is Advent. It's a time of waiting for a new heaven and a new earth to see peace on earth and goodwill among people. Isn't that a beautiful representation of our representation of our time on earth? That our whole life is Advent, waiting for Jesus, waiting for our Messiah. And so as we dive into scripture this month, what we've been doing is looking at Old Testament stories or narratives of where Jesus shows up before Christmas, long before Christmas. And we wanted to do this to help us embrace the reality that Jesus did not begin to exist on Christmas morning, but he's always existed. And it helps us to appreciate the beauty of what the Old Testament points us to. Every time we've looked at where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament is a manifestation of who God is for us. And so when we started, we looked at Abraham and uh, this, this, uh, this recognition where he had these doubts about who Jesus is. We started in Genesis 15. We started with Abraham, and he has this conversation with God, and he expresses to God, I have doubts about who you are, and I also have doubts about my ability to to, to follow you, Jesus. We then went to Isaiah and we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah comes face to face with the very holiness of God and how that shaped his response to serve him. And then last week we, uh, we looked at uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the furnace. Today we're going to look at Abraham once again and the lamb. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read quite a few verses, 18 verses to get the narrative. And then we'll come back and we'll make some observations. Genesis 22 and verse 1 begins this way. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Which day did that happen? Look at verse 4. The third day. We're going to come back to that. Verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over them and worship and, to finish the rest of verse with me, come again to you. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, so they went both of them together. 
verse 7. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Read verse 8 with me. Ready? Begin. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound, his, bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and touched the ram and offered it up, took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offering shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offering shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. We're going to unpack this beautiful story in Genesis chapter number 22. But as we get started, I want you to notice Abraham's faith didn't just show up one day. It was built over time. In fact, say that phrase with me to get together ready begin. Abraham's faith didn't just show up one day, it was built over time. You see, when we're introduced to Abraham, he, we're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 11, and his family is described, and God asks him to move to a land that he will determine as he goes. And the narrative is interesting because Abraham goes, but he doesn't go all the way. In fact, he doesn't obey God completely. He obeys him Partially, He does leave where he's at, but if you read in Acts chapter 7, God tells the promise was made to Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, far before he dwelt in Haran. And God ended up repeating the promise now in Genesis 12, I should say, and in Genesis 22, because now Abraham's dad has died. And so maybe now he's compelled to move completely in obedience. Uh, there was partial obedience from Abraham, but it wasn't fulfilled completely. We see Abraham really as an example of growing faith and obedience. Now, here's the thing. Eventually, Abraham would be the father of the nations, the father of the faith, Romans 4 calls him. But if we're not careful, we can look at these narratives like we'll look at today and assume that these people showed up to the narrative with their faith fully formed already. We can look at Genesis chapter 22 and assume that when Abraham is introduced to us, that his faith is fully mature, it's fully formed, and it can be a little disheartening if we enter into the narrative with that approach. But it's just not true. In fact, God built Abraham slowly, piece by piece, 
year by year into a man of faith. In fact, Genesis 22 would reveal some of the faith God had built into Abraham. And this was not a test to produce faith, but a test to reveal faith. So when we go through situations in our life, it's important for us to understand God is not uh, purposely putting us in situations that are difficult in order for us to be, our faith to be produced. That's not what those moments are for. Rather, those difficult moments, those difficult seasons, those moments where it feels like our faith is, faith is being tested, those are moments where our faith has already been working year after year after year after year after year. And now that moment is this crucible moment where our faith isn't produced, it's just revealed. So Genesis 22, Abraham's faith just doesn't show up one day. It's been built over time, piece by piece, year by year, into fully formed people of faith. The concern for us should be if our faith isn't growing year by year, piece by piece. In fact, if we're exactly where we were with our faith as last year, something is amiss. So it's important for us to take inventory from time to time. So think back to December of last year. Think back in your own mind in December of last year and evaluate for yourself, where was your faith last year? Uh, where, uh, how did you pray last December? What did your prayer life look like last December? Think about who you were praying for. Think about what you were praying for. Uh, what was your generosity like last December? When you're, going through your, uh, when you're going through your finances and you're trying to budget and you're trying to figure out how to be generous and where to be generous, uh, what was your giving like last year? What was your Bible reading looking like? What was your church attendance looking like? Any of these metrics are simply indicators of how we're moving in our faith. And if we're exactly where we were last year, I would submit to you that we need to take some steps to move our faith over the course of time. When we're introduced to Abraham and Sarah, they have no children. We talked about this uh, in Genesis chapter 15 a few weeks ago. Abraham was promised a son, and he had to wait over two decades for that promise to be fulfilled with the birth of Isaac. Now, what's interesting is if you know the story of Abraham or you go back and read a few of these chapters, you'll see that they do have a son, but it's not Isaac. His name's Ishmael. Because Abraham and Sarah decided God needed a little nudge. He needed a little push in fulfilling the promise. So they ended up taking a shortcut. How many of you find yourselves taking a shortcut with God's promises from time to time? Right? So Abraham and, Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah have taken a shortcut. We're not quite sure how old Isaiah is, Isaac is here now. Um, uh, the historians, theologians I read, most of them said he's in his teenage years. Uh, there is some Jewish theologians believe that Isaac was 25, 30 years old at this time. You think about the ramifications of having a teenager uh, that you've waited for 25 years as part of God's promise. And now, 13, 14, 15, 16 years later, as you've enjoyed the promise coming fulfilled, now God is asking you to sacrifice that promise. Uh, look at verse 1. We'll go back just a little bit. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. It's beautiful that there's this quick answer from Abraham. We read on in verse 2. He says, uh, look at these words, take your son, your only son, Isaac, 
Well, what had happened right before is God had asked him, and not so much uh, as um, a difficult or a, a dramatic way, but he asked uh, in the previous chapters, he's just asked Abraham and Isaac to, uh, to get rid of Ishmael, to send him on his way with his mother. So now he says, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I'm glad that the I'm, I, I'm glad that as we look at the narrative of Abraham, we don't enter it in in Genesis 22, but we actually get it in Genesis 11 through 22 because we get to see the groundwork for his faith being matured over time. God trained Abraham over many decades, bringing him to this place of great trust. Remember Jan, uh, a few weeks ago when he was saying, Lord, I don't, I don't, I have my doubts about who you are. Um, I have my doubts about the promise that you're going to fulfill in my life. And then Lord, I have my doubts about my ability to follow you. Like, I don't think I can carry up my end of the bargain. And over the course of many years, over the course of many other situations, God uses these moments to train Abraham's faith. And the lesson he had to learn was that Abraham had to learn the difference between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser. Now, those are two different things, to trust the promise versus trusting the promiser. Trusting the promise is taking a verse like uh, our men's group was looking at uh, the book of 1 John, and at the end of verse John chapter 5, uh, it says something to this effect, that he says, uh, if you pray in my name, whatever you ask, you're going to get it. That's a pretty great promise. I'd like to take that one home with me. I'd like to put it in the bank. I'd like to see it collect interest, and I'd like to withdraw that promise. That when I pray in God's will, that whatever I pray will come to fruition. That's trusting the promise. Trusting the promiser is looking at that verse and focusing on the phrase that simply says, if it's your will. You see the difference there? The one attitude focuses on whatever I ask, I'll get it. The other attitude says, whatever your will is, I'm going to rest there. That's trusting the promiser, not the promise. It's taking the promises where uh, in Malachi... <clears throat> Uh, in Malachi, there's this promise that says, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall, uh, shall it come back to you. Uh, the only way I know that verse is if I sing the kid's song. Um, and I'm not going to do that now because it comes with hand motions. <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to sing it without the hand motions. Um, but it's this promise that basically says if you give to God, he's going to give whatever you've given. He's going to give it back to you in a way that's absolutely overwhelming back to you. Uh, trusting the promise is giving with the condition of here's my offering. Here's my generosity. Here's my love. Here's my resources. Here's my time. Here's my talents. When does it come due, God? When do I get it back? That's trusting the promise versus the promiser. So Abraham had to learn this uh, distinction, this lesson, that it was about trusting the promiser to fulfill the promise. He was 
he was, uh, Abraham was 75 years old when he was given the promise of a son. He's been waiting 25 years. Isaac is finally born. Uh, we're at least a dozen years later where Isaac is 14, maybe 12, 14, 15, 16 years old. And now here's the thing. The promise still hasn't been completely fulfilled because the promise was this. You will have a son and he shall give birth and you'll have the seed as many as there are stars in the sky and sand in the sea although Isaac was born the promise was Isaac would be the very beginning of all of this seed all of this family you'd be the father of many nations so while Isaac's birth was very important in Abraham's mind he's like yeah but he still hasn't has children yet he still hasn't produced yet he hasn't been able to get married yet he hasn't able to have children yet so the promise you gave me Lord is halfway fulfilled Fulfilled. It's only halfway fulfilled. And so in Abraham's mind, when Jesus or when God comes to him and says, take your son, your only son, he had already gotten rid of Ishmael. And now God says, take your son, the one that's left, your only son, the one whom you love, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. He had to learn the difference between trusting the promise versus trusting the promiser. Now, to be fair, this is kind of a head-scratching moment. It would seem strange and contradictory to kill the son who was promised to carry on the covenant that God had revealed to Abraham. And it was looking like God promised or God commanded Abraham to kill the very promise that God made to him. Spurgeon said it this way so beautifully. He said, there are times with us when we are called to a course of action which looks as though it would jeopardize our highest hopes. And he said this, It is neither your business or mine to fulfill God's promise. For us is obedience, and God is the fulfillment of his own promise. Now Abraham's obedience showed that he trusted God even when he didn't understand. And it leads us to this understanding that obedience is the fruit of of trust. What we mean by that is this, if there is trust in your life, then there will be obedience. If we trust God with our life, you should be able to look back on the decisions we make, the behaviors that we hold, and see the evidence of that trust, and the evidence of, the, of our trust in God is us obeying God. That old hymn says it how? Trust and obey, because there's no other way. So, if we say we trust God, and there's no evidence of our trust with, with, uh, with evidence of our trust being obedience, if there's no obedience to follow up that trust, we live a lie. We simply live a lie. Now, some of you, maybe at points in your life, I would say I've done this, is we would say something like this. Well, I'm not going to obey until I understand. And once I understand, I'm fine obeying. So you, to clarify, we want to understand the things on the same level that God understands. That presumes to put ourselves on equal standing with God. I have this rule that when you say it out loud, it should make sense. So when we say it like that and we say, well, yeah, uh, once I understand, I'm fine obeying. Yeah, that's saying 
that at some point we would elevate our own understanding and our own thoughts to be equal with God, and then we would obey. Of course you would. That's silly. Of course we would. There's not a person in this room that could think the way God thinks that wouldn't obey once we had that understanding. This is why it's called trust. Um, If you could see your bank account, uh, if you could see the evidence of giving in your bank account, and you could fast forward time and see how God provides time and time again, and see how your bills are met, and see how when you trust God with your finances, uh, if you could just get a ledger of the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years and say, well, yeah, now I'll obey him today. Well, of course you would. That doesn't take any trust. That takes a magic eight ball. That takes a a crystal ball that allows you to look ahead in time. Um, Obedience is simply the fruit of trust. So Abraham's obedience showed up because he had trusted God. Because he refused to walk by feelings, he decided to walk by faith. So here's the thing. Where in your life do you need the obedience to show up as evidence of your trust in who God is? Uh, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's a relationship where you say you trust God, but there's no evidence of that trust. Maybe it's in, uh, maybe it's in your uh, career path where you say you trust God with where your life and your career are headed, but there's no evidence of that trust. I would encourage you today to say this. What area of your life do, you, do we say that we trust God, but yet there's no evidence? I do this all the time. I I will pray and I will say, God, I I trust you in this area of my life. And then if you look at the evidence of my life, you could probably say he's hedging his trust there. Um, To say you trust in God should lead us to the place where now because we trust him, we obey So we say we trust God in our finances. Okay, so give. And give generously. Give with a cheerful heart. Give in such a way where people look at you, where they say, uh, what compels you to do so? Well, I just trust God to meet my needs. And so I'm giving because it's an act of obedience. I'm obeying and I'm trusting his promise. Uh, You know why we have a really, really, really hard time forgiving people in our life? we have a hard time trusting God with the relationship. Forgiveness is this legal definition that simply says, uh, this person has wronged me, and instead of collecting, I'm going to give that debt over to God. I'm going to let him deal with it how he sees fit. You know why we have a hard time collecting? Because we have a hard time just trusting him with that relationship. We have a hard time with forgiveness, I should say, because we have a hard time trusting him with that relationship. Here's Abraham, and again, we're in Genesis 22, not Genesis 11. Back in Genesis 11, God says, hey, I want you to go on this road trip, and I'll tell you where you're going once you get there. And Abraham says, awesome. I'm going to go a little bit, though. I'm not going to go all the way. Some things happen in his life. Abraham's dad, I think his name is Terah. Terah dies. And all of a sudden, God comes to him again, and now he's willing to obey a little bit more. Gives him these promises. And for a while, Abraham trusts him, and it's good. And one day, him and Sarah are like, dude, we are getting old. We're not going to be able to bear this child that God says we are. 
In fact, I don't know if he has all of the information that we have. We should probably help him out. Abraham, go get Hagar. You guys get together. You'll con- he'll con- she'll conceive, and then you'll have the son. And then God would be like, hey, there's Ishmael. Your prom- we need to help him out. That happens. They're, they're, uh, they're judged for that. A few other things happen. Genesis 15 happens. We looked at it a few weeks ago. And Abraham's man, I have my doubts about you. I have my doubts about me. What do we do next? And God comes to him and he shows up in a fire. And then we split the aisle with the animals. And he's basically saying, hey, I'm entering into this covenant with you, Abraham. And here's the beautiful thing. I'm going to go ahead and I am going to take the responsibility on both ends. You don't have to do anything. Uh, I'm going to take on full ownership of this covenant. You can't do anything to earn your place in this covenant. I will do it all for you. That was seven chapters ago. We have all of this evidence that says Abraham didn't show up one day with fully formed faith. But by the time we get to Genesis chapter 22 and we've seen and Abraham has seen God show up over and over and over again in his life. By the time we get to this huge monumental ask where Jesus, where I'm sorry, where God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. Take him up to a land I will show you in Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering for me. At that point, we see Abraham faith has been formed to the point where in the midst of a ridiculous, audacious request from God, Abraham goes, okay, I will trust you. And here's the evidence of my trust. I'll obey you. Hebrews describes it beautifully this way. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac... As a sacrifice when God was testing him, Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Isn't that a powerful statement? You know how many times before Genesis 22 someone had been raised from the dead? Zero. It had never happened before. According to scripture, there's never been a time where God raised someone from the dead. So here's Abraham. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, if my own hand kills him in offering him as a sacrifice, God was able to bring him back to life again. This is an audacious kind of faith that says, in this moment where I obey God, I believe he's going to do something that I've never seen done before in my life. That's faith. And his obedience was the evidence of that faith. In a sense, it says, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. I like how the writer of Hebrews gets all cute with that verse. He's all, and in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. We have no record of anyone being raised from the dead, and yet that didn't stop Abraham from believing something that could happen. Obedience is the fruit of our faith. It is the way our faith lives. It is the way our faith puts on work boots. It's the way that our faith breathes. And if we're not obeying Christ, it means our faith has become weak. It is a sign that we need to reevaluate where we put our trust. And perhaps we are wanting to enjoy the promise of God while still embracing doubts about the promiser. 
we get to the portion of scripture where um, Abraham names the mount. And in your Bible, it might say he named the place the Lord will provide. And in some of your translations, it'll say and it named the place Jehovah Jireh. It's so telling that he didn't name the place um, for what he went through. Because you and I would have no problems if he named that place Mount Trial or Mount Agony or Mount Suckety Suck. Like we would have no problem if he commemorated that moment with this, with this name that brought him reminders of the trial, the agony, the difficulty in the obedience. He doesn't even call it Mount Obedience. The, 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 the thing he remembers or the thing he wants to call attention to is not what he experienced during the trial. He names it Jehovah Jireh. In other words, to highlight what God did to him during the trial. He highlights that Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. This is where God shows up. Look at verse 15. He says this, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. Who called to Abraham? Okay, and the angel is described how? The angel of? So every time, nearly every time, I think I can say every time in the Old Testament where we see this phrase, angel of the Lord, Every historian, theologian agrees that this is an Old Testament representation of God in the flesh. This is not Gabriel. This is not a, a different angel that simply announces news that we are accustomed to in the New Testament, perhaps. But this is an Old Testament manifestation of God, the pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ. This is the voice of God himself. And he says this in verse 16. To Abraham, by myself I have sworn, declares the what? Yeah, it's not the angel of the Lord speaking that title. It's now the title has shifted, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring. He reminds him of the covenant again, covenant again, the stars of heaven as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offering shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offering shall all the na- offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The Messiah, the only Son of God the Father, would fulfill this promise, blessing to all the nations. So obedience is the fruit of trust. I also want you to take home this thought. Obedience is the reward of following him. When we come to a place in our life and we can simply obey God, and we provide the evidence to the trust or the faith that we have, it is the reward of following him. Now, Abraham knew the blessing came to those who trusted God's promise. And in this narrative, what's beautiful is we have this remarkable picture of the work of Jesus at the cross. We've said before on this Sunday morning series that these moments where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament is a precursor, it's a foreshadowing of what would happen in the New Testament. Augustine said this, that the Old Testament is this beautifully furnished room that's dimly lit. So as you walk through the Old Testament and you bump into furniture and you can't can't quite make yourself go to the other side of the room because it's hardly lit until you let the light in from the New Testament. 
And all of a sudden, you can see everything beautifully adorned. All of a sudden, you can see all the different pathways to get from one end to the other. And this story, like no others, illuminates that. The son of promise is willing to be sacrificed in simple obedience to his father. Isaac is carrying the wood of his sacrifice up the hill. Is foreshadowing of Jesus himself carrying the cross on his own back. All with full confidence that, my goodness, if I happen to kill Isaac and God allows me to go through this, I will see him resurrected because this is still the promise for my seed, the promise, the covenant that God had done. And I remember when God showed up and I remember when he went through the aisle with the animals on either side. And I remember when he promised me that the covenant will come true, not because of me, but because of his promise. So even if I kill my son, I know there's a promise of resurrection. I've never seen it done. I've never seen a child die and come back to life. I've never seen that happen before. But my faith is going to be evidenced by my trust in him and I will obey. It's all foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Jesus tarries the cross and he walks up the hill and even the night before he said, there's any other way that we could do this, Lord. Would you let this cup pass from me? And then he says, not my will, but yours be done. He carries the cross just like Isaac would carry the wood. And when God asks Abraham for the ultimate demonstration of love and commitment, he asks for Abraham's son. And when God the Father wanted to show us the ultimate demonstration of love and commitment to us, he gave us his son. We're in Genesis 22 for this narrative. There's 21 chapters before. Obviously, I don't know why I said that out loud. Um, there's 21 chapters before Genesis 22. You know when the first time love is mentioned in Scripture? In those 21 chapters? It isn't mentioned. For 21 chapters, God does not talk about love. And then we get to 22. And this is the first time in recorded Scripture, love is mentioned. And it's when he says these words, Take your son whom you love. It's the first mention that comes in the context of love. And it comes in this beautiful context between a father and his son, connected with the idea of the sacrificial offering of the son. And Abraham displays his heart towards God in the way that he was willing to give up his only son. We read the New Testament parallel to Genesis 22 and John 3, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see the parallels in that scripture? That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God provided a ram instead of Isaac. And this was the sufficient for that type, for that occasion on that type. But that which was typified by the ram is infinitely more glorious. Because in order to save us, God provided Jesus. He didn't provide an angel or a mere man. He provided God himself to be the sacrifice. This morning, as you reflect and respond, I want to I ask you two or three questions as we've thought about this narrative. As we think about Abraham and we think about Isaac, I want you to first think about your faith and where your faith is today. Um, I'm going to be publishing an, uh, a blog here in the next couple of weeks on some questions I ask myself at the end of the year 
to help me set up for next year. And some of them are very spiritual questions that I try to do an honest assessment for in my life so that I can gauge to see and ask the Holy Spirit's uh, wisdom on where am I growing in my faith? And then where's my faith lacking? I was talking to a pastor this week, a pastor I have a close relationship with, and, and he asked me this question, and I'm not used to getting this question asked. He said, Daniel, you know me pretty well. In what areas would you say my faith is lacking? And I remember sitting in that moment and I thought, Lord, do I have the courage to ask that question? Church, do you have the courage to ask that question? Here's Abraham and he shows up in Genesis 22 and we're like, man, that's pretty awesome. Superstar, faith, comes in with his Big A on his chest, and he's able to sacrifice his son? No, no. In fact, the first time God asked him to obey, he only obeyed halfway. Second time God asked him to obey and to trust him, Abraham took a shortcut. Third time that we see in Scripture where God asked him to trust him, Abraham's, yeah, 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 sure. By the way, I have these three doubts, and I need you to address them real quick. Three, sorry. I have these three doubts about who you are and who I am. And if you could address those, I'm happy to trust you. I guess I'm reminding you of this to say it's okay to be honest about where you are spiritually. Because when we're honest about where we are spiritually, we then have a runway for growth. So I'd ask you to consider where are you at spiritually? Where's the area in your life spiritually that you just need to simply say, I'm going to obey him in this part of my life with my relationships, with my finances, with my career, with my family, with my parenting, with my work, with my emotions, uh, with my health. I'm going to obey him in this area of my life. This is how we grow, is by taking that inventory. I'd ask you to consider that today. What does it look like for you to give your faith time and attention to develop? For some of you, you just need to go easy on yourself. You've made these commitments to yourself, and because you haven't read through the Bible this weekend, you're like, my goodness, I'm a horrible Christian. Or because you haven't prayed for two hours every day like you said you would, you're, you're failing in your walk. For some of you, it means giving yourself a little bit of grace about where you are. The second area I would like you to consider is this. Obedience is the evidence of our trust. So where's the one or two areas of your life God really is asking you to to trust him. And how are you going to obey him in those one or two areas? What does that look like for us today? Can I pray for you this morning? Let's do it. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, as we consider Genesis 22, what a ridiculously amazing story, Lord. First of all, I thank you for the other 21 chapters of Genesis that lead us to this place. Thank you that you have given us insight to Abraham's life in a unique way where when we see him show up in Genesis 11, he's not this fully formed superhero of the faith. He's just this guy who's trying to obey the voice of God. 
Thank you that you give us unique access to his vulnerability and his brokenness. Where we see when he does try to obey, it's halfway. When we do see him try to trust you, he takes a shortcut. When he, do, when he is asked to put his faith fully in him, we, he reveals his doubts. Thank you for that type of humanness recorded in scripture. I pray that that would encourage us where we are in our faith today, that we would simply be honest with where we are and then grow. Would you reveal to us, Lord, where we need to grow? Would you just shine a light in the part of our life where we just need to trust you? As I was preaching today, Lord, you've shown a lot, uh, a light in one area of my life, Lord, and so I'm going to ask you, Lord, would, would you give me the faith and the trust when it comes to trusting you with my family? That ultimately you know what's best, that ultimately we are your children and as we yield to your Holy Spirit, we'll give you the, I'll give you the trust of my family. And that my life will have evidence of that trust, Lord. Would you just shine a light, Lord, to everyone who's sitting here, to whoever's watching online or whoever might be listening later in the week about the area in our life where we need to trust you. Thank you, Lord. And then, Father, I pray as you shine the light in our life, we would do the deep work of simply obeying you. That Abraham would, would, would be willing to sacrifice his son. And even if he did, he said, he reasoned that, well, if I, if I obey here, that means God is going to do something miraculous I've never seen done in my life before. So he obeyed. I pray that we would have that kind of earth-moving faith in our life. With your heads bowed for just a moment, we're going to give you a chance to reflect and to respond. Maybe there's an area of your life that God is shining a light on. Maybe there's an area of trust where you simply need to obey. Whatever that looks like at our church, we want to give you the opportunity to pray and to respond. I believe the Holy Spirit talks to you just as much as he talks to me. I believe that God is speaking to you right now in the quietness of this moment. So we're going to pause and just allow you to respond to him directly. And if you've never prayed before in your life and you're watching online or you're sitting here, we invite you to simply draw near to a God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. You say, Daniel, you don't, you don't understand my baggage. He loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. You don't understand what I, I, I do the rest of the week, Daniel. This is just something he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. So take the time right now to reflect and to respond as he's speaking to you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. 
In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.